0: Please be uh, turning with me uh, to Psalm 116. Mm -hmm. Psalm 116, you'll find that on page 510 if you're using the church Bibles. And we're going to read the whole psalm together. I love the Lord... Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of shale laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Before we go any further, let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and the opportunity we have to spend time in it now. We pray, Father, by your spirit, that you would be speaking to us through it. Help us, Father, to be encouraged as we hear these words of praise and lead us, Father, to praise you in response for all that you have done. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have just celebrated Easter um, very nearly, the end of the school holidays. Some of you may be very relieved about that, but we have celebrated wonderful events, haven't we? The darkness of Good Friday, leading us through to the joy and source of all Christian hope on the Easter Sunday, the stone rolled away and the angels announcing he is not here, for he has risen. Now, of course, it's not just at Easter that we celebrate these wonderful truths, but nonetheless, it's a special time of the year as we think about events which stand right at the center of history. And as Christians, we celebrate Christ's defeat of sin and his victory over the grave. But here we are, one week later. I wonder, how has your week If you're like me, then I'm sure many of you will have faced all sorts of challenges and issues over this past week. And perhaps that resurrection hope, which which we were reminded of last week, feels that little bit more distant today. Perhaps you have fears about work, concerns about loved ones, or even perhaps worries about your own health. Perhaps for a variety of reasons, your Christian walk feels just that little bit more difficult at the moment. Your experience of God's love and His grace towards you in Christ, which at times has felt so fresh and vibrant, perhaps now feels a little bit dry. Perhaps praising the Lord feels like a challenge. Why then Psalm 116 this morning after all it is a song of praise we get that hallelujah right at the end verse 19 praise the lord and it's deeply heartfelt praise isn't it you see how the psalmist begins i love the lord later on we hear that psalmist expressing his gratitude when he asks in verse 12 what shall i render to the lord for all his benefits to me and of course the implied answer is nothing God has done so much for him that he feels he can give nothing back but respond in grateful praise and adoration. And so it begs the question, how could any of us praise the Lord like that? Particularly when we so often face so many challenges in life. How can we praise the Lord with that same depth of authentic love and gratitude? That's the question which I think this psalm poses for us this morning. And the answer begins there in verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I'll call on him as long as I live. As we look at this psalm, it becomes very clear that this, though a song of praise, is rooted in reflection on very real, very personal and very difficult life experience. Here we find someone who knows very well what it feels like to be overwhelmed, someone who knows about the pressures of life, someone who's even felt on the very brink of life itself. And yet in these opening verses, he remembers this experience, and he remembers how God leaned in to his situation and turned his ear to hear his desperate cries for help. And so the overwhelming urge to praise begins by looking back at what God has done, how God heard his prayer, and specifically, as we will see, how he's experienced God's mercy in rescuing him from death. The psalm's purpose purpose, then is first that we too might be able to look back and reflect on how God in his mercy has rescued us from death. So that, second, having been set free from death's cords, we might respond with grateful commitment to serve him. And so, our first heading reflecting on God's rescue, verses 1 to 11. In the first half of the psalm, we see the psalmist reflecting on his own near death experience. His pleas, there in verse 1, are not the ritualistic prayer of a priest or even the faithful prayer of a devoted believer. the desperate cry of a person whose life is very much on the edge. We're not told the exact details of his experience, but he describes what it felt like there in verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs or the terrors of Sheol, the place of the dead laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. It's possible that he was led into the situation by being tricked by those he once trusted, In verse 6, you'll see he numbers himself with the simple. The word means those who are young and naive. It's the same word used in Proverbs 9 to describe those who are seduced into the house of folly. We get the sense he feels betrayed. That's by those he once considered friends. Look at verse 11. He tells us that in his alarm, he said, all mankind are liars. Clearly, he felt there was no one he could trust. Here in verse 3, it's death and shale playing the active role in his suffering. He speaks of being encompassed by death's snares. It's as though death is pictured like some tentacled monster reaching up out of the abyss and like a constricting snake slowly squeezing the life out of him. I think you'll agree it, it's a desperate picture. And perhaps you know that feeling or have felt it. In the past, if you ever suffered from serious illness, then it's probably something that you can identify with. But it is strange, isn't it, how quickly we can all forget. Cast your mind back just three years to the early weeks of the pandemic, where the fear of death was very real for many in our world, and perhaps for many of us. Suddenly, our lives were transformed by the fear of death. We were careful, weren't we, not to touch things. There was a real sense that death could be lurking anywhere, waiting to grab us in every handshake or on every door handle or in every drain, tra- train carriage. And yet the reality is even those who us, of us who feel healthy are still far closer to death than we often care to think. Last autumn we held a seminar here at the church on death. one of the sobering reminders from that evening was that death for most people comes far earlier than we ever expect. From the beginning of our Bibles, we know that death is a consequence of sin, God's curse on humanity's rebellion against him, and therefore an inevitable part of life in this fallen world. Our Bibles remind us often of the fleetingness and the fragility of life. Our lives are said to be like the grass of the field, which flourishes in the morning and yet fades by the evening. Or like a vapor, seen for a moment before disappearing. For Benjamin Franklin, death and taxes were famously the two certainties in life. And yet, while some may try to avoid taxes, we know that none of us can avoid death snares of death will one day encompass us. When we find ourselves in that position, to what or to whom will we turn? Because, of course, wealth will be of no consequence. Influence and esteem will have no bearing. Friends and family, no matter how much they might try, will not be able to loosen death's cords as they tighten Around our necks. But the wonderful truth of this psalm is that there is a God in heaven on whom we can call. Look at verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. You see, the psalmist knew that the only hope he had was to call on the name of the Lord. And so he called. And the sense is he kept on calling. He didn't stop calling. He said, Please, Lord, save me. But how could he be so sure? that God would hear him and respond to his pleas for mercy? Well, I think it's because he, he knew something, at least, of God's character. Look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. I think any Jew reading this psalm would have immediately uh, recognized the allusion in those words to Exodus 34, where you may recall Moses was up on Mount Sinai And there we read that God in a strange way passed before him and proclaimed to Moses his character. In verse 6 we read it in Exodus 34, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see what the psalmist only once knew from Scripture He now knows and can say from his own experience. The same God who revealed his character to Moses on the mountain has revealed that same character to me as he has rescued me from death. And notice how it is the Lord who is both gracious and righteous. Sometimes we can think those two words are jarring as if they don't belong together, that they can't describe the same person. But the psalmist doesn't think so. The psalmist has learned that these two aspects of God's character necessarily go together. At the beginning of the book of Exodus you will recall how God's people are trapped in slavery in Egypt. At the end of of chapter 2 we read this, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. You see God hears the cry of his people in distress. God didn't rescue his people because they deserved it, but because he was gracious and merciful. But God is also righteous. God is a God who remembers his covenant. He won't break his promises that he has made to his people. Many of you will know that the the word translated L-O-R-D in capital letters there in our English Bibles and used throughout this psalm is the, uh, denotes the name Yahweh, the Hebrew word, the special name of God which he gave to his people by which they were to know him and to rejoice in him. And so all the way through this psalm, it's as though the psalmist is underlining, I'm part of that community of God's people. That's why I've experienced his rescue. And I've found him to be a God who is both gracious and righteous, just as he was to his people uh, in, uh, in the days of the exodus what i knew once from scripture i've come to know in my own experience and look how he can talk of his own experience there in verse 6 when i was brought low he saved me verse 8 for you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears my feet from stumbling he's experienced god's rescue for himself that's surely why he can say with such conviction in verse 1 i love the lord Because everything he's been taught about God, that God is gracious and righteous and merciful, and that he proved in the rescue of his people through the Exodus, he has come to know and experience in the rescue of his own life. Now, this psalm is actually part of a group of psalms, and they are traditionally sung after the Passover meal, as that rescue from Egypt is remembered. And so most commentators think that this psalm was part of the hymn that Jesus sang with his disciples. After the Last Supper, just a matter of hours before he would go to the cross. What did it mean for Jesus to sing these words? He too was betrayed by those close to him. He too knew what it was to be encompassed by the snares of death. He too suffered distress and anguish and cried out to God for rescue. And God delivered his soul from death when he raised him on the third day. Indeed, the very reason Jesus went to the cross was so that God could fulfill his promise to provide a rescuer, the rescuer we all need, one who can rescue us from our sin. And just as this psalmist then can look back on God's rescue of his people out of Egypt and can see that same rescue in his own life, so too those who trust the Lord Jesus can claim the same rescue that Jesus himself experienced when he was delivered from the tomb and raised to life. This is the great promise of the gospel, isn't it? And it's for those who believe. Notice how the psalmist emphasizes his own faith there in verse 10. I believed even when I spoke. And that's the point Paul makes in that passage we had read to us earlier, Second Corinthians chapter 4. There he recalls the stress and anguish he faced as an apostle. He was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying in his body the death of Jesus. And yet he says there in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Quoting Psalm 116, he says, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul was certain that because of his faith in God, that God would ultimately deliver him from death into the presence of his Lord. And so too for all of us who believe. Look at how the, scribe, the psalmist can describe his assurance of faith in verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in a land of the living." You see, if we're trusting in Jesus today, then the wonderful news is that we have been delivered from death, both now spiritually in the present, as we enjoy new life with God, and one day physically in the future, when even though we die, Christ will raise our mortal bodies to life. Now isn't this the encouragement we all need when we're weighed down by all life's pressures? To know for certain that we have been Raised with Christ to new life. And so, can we preach these words to our own hearts? I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. And isn't this what our world needs? What our colleagues need? Our family members, our neighbors, our friends? Again, cast your mind back to those early weeks and months of the pandemic. What was it that our world thought it needed more than anything else? Well, it was a vaccine. And so we were bombarded by every detail of progress being made with vaccine development, the trials, the approvals, the rollouts. And you'll remember on our news how every day we were told how many people had been vaccinated and what proportion of the population that, uh, that was, and so on. Our world was fixated on vaccine. And yet, while we are rightly thankful that those vaccines have proved effective, the truth is that no vaccine is able to stave off death's encompassing snares forever. What our world needs is not a vaccine, but a God with power to deliver from death itself. If you're sitting here this morning knowing that you do not yet know this God for yourself and his power to save your life, then may I ask, what is stopping you coming to him today? Death is lurking at the door of all of our lives. And none of us knows when its snares will finally take hold of us. When will you call out to the only one who can rescue you from death and experience his salvation? And Christian brother and sister, when you are overwhelmed by life, when you suffer personal distress and anguish, when you are brought low, know this, You can call on the name of the Lord and know he will hear your voice. Now, we know that this psalm isn't saying that whenever we face a particular distress in our lives that God will rescue us from it when we call on him, as though God is like some emergency genie that we can just uh, call on to grant us a wish. But if we're trusting in Jesus, then we can be certain that this rescue from death to life is for us because Jesus has been raised to life. So how do we respond to this? Surely it's enough to make us ask with the psalmist, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? What can I possibly give back to God for all the blessings that is poured out on my life? Now, of course, we know there's nothing we can give back to a God in a sense. We cannot repay him for our salvation it is all by his grace and yet this psalm teaches us that there is still a right response and we get that in verses 12 to 19 it's a response of grateful commitment the overriding emotion behind these words is that of gratitude here is someone who is deeply grateful for what the lord has done for him so now, now he no longer calls on the name of the Lord out of sheer desperation, as he did in verse 4, but as a sign of his enduring love and devotion to the God who has rescued him there in verses 13 and 17. Look at how he realizes just how much he is valued by God in verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The word precious there could be translated costly or expensive, And the point is that God's saints, his faithful ones, are of immense value to him. So God won't let their lives be snatched away by the core to death. Just as you don't easily let go of something if it's costly or precious to you, so God will not abandon to shale the souls of those who are precious to him. Then at the end of verse 16, the psalmist describes the freedom he now enjoys. Look how he says, You have loosed my bonds. Yet it's also clear that this isn't freedom in the way our world likes to think about freedom. Freedom here isn't the ability and right to do whatever you want without consequence. Now what is described here is what the Bible calls freedom and, and it's a freedom to serve God. Look at the first half of verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. This is the freedom to which we as Christians have been released to. We have been set free Not to serve ourselves, but for the purpose which God has created us for, to serve him. And when we realize that this is what God has come to do, and that saving us, that it's to save us so that we might serve him, and that is the focus of his great plan, not just for us, but for the whole of creation, then it's natural, isn't it? That the emotion that we feel will be one of gratitude. And the natural question we'll start to ask is, how can I ever repay him? How can I ever truly express the extent of my gratitude to him? And so it's out of this immense gratitude that the psalmist makes his commitments in these I will statements. It's as though the psalmist is saying, this is my lifestyle from now on. This is how I'm going to live in response to God's mercy and grace first commitment there in verse 13 is perhaps surprising. He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. It's surprising, I think, because it's not about giving anything back to God. It's about taking what he has given. The purpose of lifting up the cup is to receive its contents. And so the psalmist is saying, my lifestyle in response to God's grace and mercy is that I'm going to go on receiving all the blessings and benefits of his salvation. And if you like, that's the greatest gratitude that we can show God in response to his rescue of us in Christ. Our greatest gratitude is to receive that rescue personally and to make it the bedrock of our lives and to go on through life living in dependence on this rescuing God. And so day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, The Christian will keep on coming back to him to receive fresh mercy and grace to help at every time of need. And so we're able to tell how much or little we really trust God by how much or little we rely on him. How much or little do we call on him? If we really want to show our gratitude to God, then we shall go on reaffirming our dependence on him. We will go on lifting up that cup of salvation He'll continue to call on the name of the Lord. The second I will is there in verse 14 and repeated in verse 18. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And it's an expression of service, isn't it? To pay your vows is to solemnly keep the commitments you've made to God. A promise to devote yourself to God's service. And notice he's going to do it in the, amongst God's people for all to see. And so the psalmist is saying that he will be known as someone who, out of gratitude to the Lord, will be bound to living in service to him. And so, for us, when we understand God's rescue, then we will want to respond with this kind of commitment to serve him. And we will do so in the presence of his people, as a way of telling them just how grateful we are for what God has done, and to encourage them, those who have experienced that same rescue. To go on responding in the same way how do you know if you've really been rescued by jesus well the mark of your rescue will be that you gladly want to serve him among his people then the third and final i will there in verse 17 i will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the case of the psalmist the sacrifice of thanksgiving would have been an animal sacrifice in the temple Uh, You notice that is where he is as he makes these commitments there in verse 19. He says he's in the house of the Lord. But as we sing this psalm through the lens of the cross, we realize that we no longer need those types of sacrifices. We realize that Jesus has become God's one sacrifice for sin, once and for all. So what does our thank offering to God look like? Well, perhaps the words of Paul help us in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, he says, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the thank offering that we can give, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, to say to God again and again, I want to give you everything that is part of me, My energy, my time, my intellect, my affections, I will offer it all to you as a living sacrifice in grateful response to all that you have done in rescuing me. Take my life, Lord, in all its weakness and failure, but with all its uniqueness and gifting and the opportunities you give me, and use it for your glory. You see, when we realize what God has done for us, when we see that he has not been inactive in reaching down and rescuing us from death, then neither will we want to be inactive in our response to him. I will take, I will serve, I will offer. These are the commitments the psalmist makes in response to God's grace and mercy. And so he can say, I love the Lord. And when we love him, Isn't that what we'll want to do? Yes, for all kinds of reasons, we can find it hard to praise the Lord. But let's be those who reflect on the extent of God's mercy and grace shown to us in the Lord Jesus. So that we can say with truth and in sincerity, I love the Lord because he has heard my pleas for mercy.